have since we've been married. Um, we enjoy our, our own traditions uh, as we get together. And one of the things we like to do is to listen to Christmas music. And so as we were decorating last night, we uh, turned Pandora on to the Christmas station and, and uh, listened to a lot of Christmas music. And, and it's interesting that even in the world in which we live, there's a recognition that um, there's been a commercialization of this holiday and that there's something deeper in it. You know, you see the, the bumper stickers, Jesus is the reason for the season, or um, a lot of the Christmas uh, TV shows or movies that you might watch often are themed around this idea that if you think Christmas is all about getting things, you've got it wrong, there's something deeper. And it forces us into this mode of evaluating life. And as we evaluate our own lives, which we do either from time to time or more often, as the case may be, we'll, we'll often bump into this question, what are the most important things? What is the most important thing in my life? Am I achieving it? Have I figured out what it is for me? Um, how would you answer the question? I suppose it would be different for different people at different stages in their life, right? If you ask a three-year-old, what's the most important thing in your life? You might get a totally different answer than somebody who's retired. Likely you would. Three -year -old, what would be most important to a three-year-old? Maybe a, a tricycle or some toy that he really wants. If you ask a 14-year-old, what's the most important thing in, in your life? It's probably going to be an iPhone or something like that. If you ask a 35-year-old, what's the most important thing right now in your life? Maybe it's a new home or a new car or some kind of uh, thing like that. If you ask somebody who's 60 or 65, what's the most important thing in your life? And maybe it's a full retirement account, making sure that the money's all there so that I'm going to survive uh, through the, the rest of my days. I like to Google things, so I did. I just put in the Google bar, what's the most important thing in life? And let the voices out in the world answer the question. Got some really interesting answers. A lot of articles, a lot of people were actually writing about this and blogging about what they feel is the most important thing in life. And I got a lot of different answers. Um, up toward the top of the list was health. Health is the most important thing in life, taking care of yourself. And the reasoning behind it is because, obviously, if you lose your health, you lose a lot of other things. Uh, ability to work, ability to be with people and move about and, and accomplish goals and things like that. So, you know, people have a priority in their life to be healthy. Good priority, I guess. Also up among the top answers were relationships. Relationships with people. Uh, investing time in those relationships, especially with those closest to you, whether it be family or close friends, people around you. Another one, have a, a positive self-image. Read that one quite a bit. Um, uh, another way they put it was how you feel about yourself, how you feel about um, your, your life, your personality, um, had to do with confidence um, and, and those things kind of de determining other things in your life. Um, another one, having a clear life purpose. That was what somebody felt was the most important thing. To know for yourself what you want to do, what, what your goals are. 
having a clear life purpose and living out that purpose, whatever it may be. Um, another way of putting that, defining your core values. There's quite a bit uh, written in that, in that area. Um, what is most important to you? Figure out what that is and then live it. Defining your core values. Um, other things in no particular order. Love, just the concept of love itself. Being able to receive love and give love was a priority. Independence uh, came up. Not, not having somebody over you as an authority to impede what you want to do, but to be independent, whether it be financially independent or uh, independent in the sense that we're free, freedom. Uh, children came up. Children are the most important thing in life. You, you kind of get that sense from a lot of what we read uh, today. <clears throat> What was it? I, was, I just heard an ad. Oh, it was for um, laundry pods. You know those little laundry detergent pods that you can throw in and they kind of melt away and you don't have to pour anything? Well, they're so small that kids swallow them and, cause, and they look like candy, I guess, because they're colored and they're shiny and the kids think they're candy. They'll pop them in and, and quite a few kids have gotten sick and even died from the poisoning that comes from the stuff that's inside those pods. And so... Uh, the, the, the purpose of the, um, the article that was going on in the radio was that we, have, we, we can't develop new technologies and products without thinking about kids, which, you know, that's a, it's a good thought. But again, it pushed kind of this, this idea that what's, what are some of the most important things in life are children, you know, the next generation. And that crops up a lot in thinking in society. Hope was another one. Just having hope that there's something in the future that's better than there is now. Um, simply life itself is the most important thing. Being alive um, and, and knowing you have life. The ability to think and analyze and solve problems, that one came up. And so a whole slew of things that people considered to be the most important thing in life. And there was one that was glaringly absent. God. He was nowhere in those discussions. These weren't Christian websites, obviously. They were just blogs that were recent and people had written. Um, but I looked carefully and read and looked for, um, there were some mild references to spirituality here and there, but not much of anything by way of a relationship with God. So, if someone were to ask me that question, what is the most important thing in life? If you looked at my life, what do you think it would be? If, if people looked at your life, what would they say it would be? You know, I think from a, an intellectual point of view, a spiritual point of view, I would definitely say my relationship with God. To know God is the most important thing. I don't think there's anything more important than that. Because just like these people who say your health is more, most important or whatever, I think everything hinges on that. You know, my life now and my eternity hinge on my faith in God. And so it's, it, to me, it just seems like the most important thing. And the Bible seems to back that up with many of its statements. Um, and I imagine that you would probably answer the same thing 
What are the most important things in life? I would say God, and then in some order after that, my relationship to my family, spiritual character, and wisdom. Those are the things that I would put up as high on my list as the most important things in life. Um, But if we took a step back and kind of step out of your body, step out of your, your life for a minute and look at yourself, if you could do that. If I took a step out of me and I was just outside looking in, watching what I do, is what I do what I say I really believe about what's most important? You know, I say my relationship with God is the most important thing. Is that recognized by the things that I say, the things that I do? Or would my life tend to more say, no, there's other things that are more important. What do I talk about most? You know, if you, if you hang around with me for any length of time, uh, two things are probably going to come up because I talk about them a lot. One is motorsports. I like to talk about cars and motorcycles and snowmobiles. And, I'll, and sometimes if I don't know somebody and I want to have a conversation, I just bring it up, you know, especially if there's an opening there for that conversation. Um, that and right now John got me hooked on going to the gym. So we're, we're working out three, three days a week, and that's kind of taken over my mind lately about that. And so if you're with me, you're around me, I'm going to probably bring that up too. I'll probably talk about it. So from the outside, if you looked in at my life, you might be tempted to say, well, what's the most important thing in his life? Snowmobiles and working out. But is that really the most important thing in my life? You know, intellectually, I say no. It's not. There are things that are way deeper than that that need to be a part of my life. And and those things should be trumping all these other things in my life. And I've learned as I go through life that often what I say and what I do don't line up very well. And that's part of the challenge that I want to give to you this morning. I think it's a good time of year to think about this. I think it's a good time to, uh, to answer that question again in your life. What is most important? And how am I living according to, the, to what I say uh, is most important? Jesus answered that question or asked it uh, in a way in that passage in Luke. I'd like you to turn there. We're going to spend some time uh, picking this apart a little bit this morning. So Jesus, as he often does, is with people answering questions. And as he gets this question from this man, it leads him to not only give an answer, but to tell a story. And... Those stories, as we know, are parables, are chock full of spiritual truth that we need to know and understand. So just like we often do, when we say, you know, is is there something more to this? Is there something deeper to Christmas and the hustle bustle and the giving of gifts and the, the money and the commercialization? We say, yes, of course there is. A similar thing happened in this instance when the man asked Jesus to do something for him in verse 13. Someone in the crowd, so Jesus was teaching, and someone in the crowd shouts out, 
over the top of everybody else and yells, teacher. And so everybody kind of turns and looks at him. And very boldly, this man says, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I mean, here, here's, here's a, a public, I don't think I would have the boldness to do this, to be honest. If I was having a squabble with my brother over the family inheritance, I don't think I would just go to the mall and just pick out somebody and say, hey, could you tell my brother to give me what's owed to me? Which is kind of what this man did. So maybe he recognized something in Jesus, the wisdom that he was giving, the truth that he was telling, the power with which he was delivering his message. Maybe there was something in that that made this man think, he can help me. I've gone to all my other family members. I've gone to my brother. I'm getting nowhere with this, and I have this problem. Maybe he can help me. Is that true? Could Jesus have helped him? I suppose so. I suppose Jesus could have answered and said, sure, wait till I'm done, see me afterwards, and I'll go talk to your brother. I'll straighten him out. If there's a problem, I'll fix it for you. But as Jesus often does, he saw through the question to the man's heart, which is really where he's going to get in this parable. What was wrong with the question that the man asked? He didn't have his priorities right. The man was so overwhelmed and concerned about the money that he was supposed to receive that he missed everything else that Jesus was saying. And so he said to the man in verse 14, Man, who appointed me a judge over you? Which is kind of an ironic question. Because guess who is his judge? Jesus said, God has appointed to me all authority to judge. There will come a day when you and I will both stand before Jesus Christ himself and will give an account of our lives. In fact, in John chapter 5, he said, don't marvel at this, but the day is coming when all the dead in the tombs will come forth, some to eternal life, others to judgment. And so, I find it ironic anyway that he asked that question. Who appointed me judge over you? But you get the force of his question. He's really saying, you're not asking the right question. I'm not going to give you an answer to your question because you're not asking the right question. I want you to think about this. He said to them, beware. And be on your guard against every form of greed. And so he saw again into this man's heart. The reason he was asking the question wasn't because he wanted to know and love and glorify God in his life. It was because he wanted his money. <clears throat> and he wanted to invoke God into the conversation. He felt like God should help him have more money. God should help him with this. And he was, he was owed it. But Jesus says, you've got your priorities wrong. The priority of this life isn't money. It's not material things. And even if you take it to an extreme, people who are wealthy, he says at the end of verse 15, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. But I think many of us mistakenly believe that that's where the most joy and satisfaction in life is going to come. Whether we say it or not, 
probably has at least entered our mind. So Jesus said um, at the end of verse 15, life is more than the things that you own. Even rich people will acknowledge this. And all the poor people say, well, give me a chance. I'd like to be one of those rich people and acknowledge it myself. But again, you've missed the point. Life does not consist of the things that you have. And so Jesus goes into this parable in verse 16, which you all know. The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. So should we jump down this guy's throat and say, Ah, he was too materialistic. I mean, come on. Every one of you in here, including myself, would think the same way, wouldn't we? Are you working? Do you receive an income? Would you like your income to be higher? Would you like to have a funded retirement account? Of course we would. That's just, it's part of this life. And I think we, we become pretty critical quickly about these things, but even these things are tied somewhat to the blessing of God, are they not? Part of the blessing that God gives to us is, is in, by way of material things. And so I don't think we ought to just jump down his throat for making plans. And we all make our plans. We, we invest, we plan ahead, we, we plan for uh, not only retirement, but we plan for you know, the inevitable uh, crunches that will happen in life. And so we save in, in case those things happen. And, and so that's what he was doing. He was reasoning to himself. He's saying, what am I going to do? My business has prospered. I've done very well for myself. I'll just store it up. I'll, I'll tear down my barns. I'll build a bigger, bigger building so I can put all this in here, and I'll just keep selling it and, and, uh, and live out the rest of my life. And I will say to my soul, and here's where it's going to get a little more philosophical, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take it easy. Just live out your life eating. I love to eat. I'm with this guy. I enjoy food, all kinds of food. And if all I did for the rest of my life was try different kinds of foods, that would be fun for me. I like food. I like weird food. International foods that I've never tried before. New flavors. I call myself an adventure eater. So eat, drink. I don't drink alcohol, so I'm not with this guy on that one. But I enjoy a good cup of coffee. In fact, I buy my own coffee beans, roast them at home, grind them up, and I make I'm kind of a coffee snob when it comes to that. I make a single cup every morning out of very good tasting beans, not Dunkin' Donuts. Doesn't measure up. Starbucks is okay. 
they, they come a little closer. I like the really dark roast stuff. So I roast them at home and I control it myself and I love the different flavors of coffee and good good cup is, is good. Love to drink juices and, and milk and different things, you know. I, I enjoy that. And be merry. Who wouldn't want that? You want to come to my house and play some games and laugh? Some of the best family times I can remember are sitting around the kitchen table laughing at some kooky thing that happened or something that somebody said and just belly laughing over this and, and, and then you know, being so tired after your laugh that you're like, hmm. you know. Be merry. Isn't that what people do? Backyard barbecues, let's go, to the, let's go skiing, let's go do something together, let's, let's have, some, have some fun and be merry in life. What's wrong with what this guy wanted is my question. Well, there is something wrong. We'll, we'll address it as we go along here. He said, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you're a fool. You foolish man. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in the position to ever hear those words from God directed at me. That would be scary. If God said to me, the first thing I hear from him is, you fool, my heart would sink. My brain would start going, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. What's going to happen now? How can I get out of this? I, want, I don't want God to call me a fool. You fool, he said, this very night your soul is required of you. You're going to meet me tonight. All the plans that you had for eating and drinking and making merry, all the plans that you had for all that grain that you stored up in your barn, all the plans that you had to live out the rest of your days are not going to come to pass because I'm calling you home tonight. Your life on this earth is over. We all have an appointed day. Every one of us has an appointed day. I don't know when that day will be for me. But I'm keenly aware that it may not be when I think it is. When I was young, and say maybe in, in my teens and early 20s, like most young people, I felt invincible. I don't feel so invincible today. Time has passed. My body is aging and changing. Uh, what used to just be a twinge that goes away doesn't go away quite so easily anymore. And I'm, I'm well aware, as of many of you, that we're mortal, that, that this life does not last forever. And the problem this man had is he, he had no plans whatsoever in his life for after this life. None. His entire life was motivated by temporal things. You don't see any mention of God in the first part of the conversation. All he was really focused on was himself, which is normal. That's what people do. They focus on themselves, and they build their lives. But to what end? 
This man didn't see God in any of his decisions. He didn't pray to God about anything that he was doing. He didn't think about how God would be glorified in any of his, his acts or his decisions. And so God says to him, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. And now who will own what you prepared? Which brings us back to this whole idea that, you know, life, is, life comes and goes. We've got 80 years of that. Did, did anybody read about the oldest man in India? Who told me about that? 179? I think it's a fake. Good. How many years can we live? I mean, in the early part of the Bible, people lived a long time. So I know it's not out of the realm of possibility to live long, but pretty much since the flood, we've been living on average 80 to 100 years. You know, and it's kind of fluctuated through history depending on circumstances and, and things like that. But how long, how long have we got? You know, my grandmother died when she was 82. My granddad died when he was 90. My other grandmother died at 85. My granddad on the other side, I'm not sure how old he was. I was he was 58. Okay. He was a smoker and lung cancer got him. But how long do we have? We don't have a long time. You know, everybody's lifespan is pretty similar as to... But we have, a, we have an appointed day. Our day is coming when we will go back to, to God. And we'll, we'll see him face to face. So Jesus says, God said to the man, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? So you're, you're going to leave all your stuff behind and somebody else will enjoy it. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. So sometimes I think we deceive ourselves into thinking like this man. We think that something is very, very important when really it's not. And we get our priorities mixed up. Um, let's take a look just quickly at what this man did. Verse 17. This is where I believe his first mistake was. Who, did, who was he reasoning with? He was reasoning with himself. Now, let me be clear on this point. I believe that thinking, reasoning, analyzing, problem solving, figuring things out, that's, that's a good thing. I'm glad that God made us that way. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he says that he made man in his own image. And part of being in the image of God, which separates us out from the animal kingdom, is our ability to think in words. That's why when Jesus came and John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Words are what separate us from, from everything else. You stop and think about that a minute. That's a deep thought. Animals, as much as I love our cats, sorry to say, will not be with us in heaven. They have no eternal soul. I've argued this with especially girls in the youth group who love dogs. They will argue up and down. No, no, no. Dogs, God love them. Yeah, okay. 
Maybe God loves animals. But animals are fundamentally different than human beings. And even in this passage, who was the man ultimately talking to? He says he was talking to himself, and when he talked to himself, what did he call himself? Verse 19, I will say to my, to my soul, there's a difference between the soul of a person and the soul, and the soul of an animal. I don't, I don't believe animals have the same kind of soul, if you want to call it that, as people. We can relate to God because we can think. He gave us language. He gave us words. Pastor Dan, in his um, Bible class that he teaches at FCA, what's the one thing he tells the kids every year? Think. It's a theme. Everybody who goes to his class will know that. He wants you to think. He doesn't want you to just take everything in. He wants you to think about what you're, what you're believing and what you're reading and, and come to conclusions. And so I'm, I'm all for thinking. Um, the Bible is full of references to clear thinking, to be sober-minded. Uh, Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, of good repute, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. So there's, there's an abundance of words from God that tell us that thinking is important. So I'm not condemning the man for thinking. We need to think. But let me be very clear about this as well. The mind without God is depraved. It's, a, it's so affected by sin that it cannot see its own shortcomings and its own, short, and its own falling short. We just read in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning in our Christian growth class where Paul says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And you look at those words, alienated, ignorance, dark. It's not that people can't think without God. Anybody can think. But you end up where this guy is. You think about everything in terms of of short-term temporal life and not eternity. In fact, in Romans 1, verse 28, the end result of people who suppress the truth of God, in the first part, in verse 18 in, in uh, Romans 1, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So they hear it, but they don't believe it. They don't want it, so they suppress it. They, they turn it away. And the end result of that, in verse 28, is that God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which were unseemly. Jeremiah 17.9, you know this verse well. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can know it? That's the state of the mind without God. Who did he consult? Himself. There's wisdom in consulting other people, isn't there? 
Bible says that. There's, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. If I'm the only one thinking about something a certain way, which has happened before, I better check what I'm thinking. You know, it's not that the crowd is always right, but sometimes I just need to check what I'm doing and how I'm thinking. And he certainly did not consult God. Because I think if he had consulted God and thought about God's principles, the conclusion would have been a lot different in his life, in his story. Jesus said, you know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Sanctify them in thy truth, for thy word is truth. And we have the revelation of God. We just need to open it up and read it. It's what Bob said this morning. You know, we we tend not to. We tend to kind of run away from it or leave it on the shelf and not consult it. And so we go through our life and we make decisions about things without God. And as a result of this man being apart from God, not acknowledging the truth, he made a selfish determination about what is most important. Try it this afternoon. Google it. What's the most important thing in life? And you see for yourself what people are saying. Most of it is just wrapped around us. It's wrapped around ourselves. I think sometimes also we have the mistaken idea that somehow earthly goods will satisfy the soul. Now, I will be the first one to say earthly goods are satisfying. I like a new car just like everybody else does. I like a good meal just like everybody else does. I enjoy a good vacation like everybody else does. Receiving gifts, I, I look forward to Christmas, same reason you do. You know, there's, there's, there's some satisfaction in material things. It's true. But they're not satisfying for the soul. And that's the difference. And that's where this man made his critical error. You know, there's, there's a lot of happiness and joy this time of year, obviously, at least on the surface. And part of that joy, I think, is because of the anticipation of getting. I found I, a couple things interesting in my life. This has happened a few times where I found that the anticipation of getting something was almost better than the gift itself. I know that sounds weird. First time it happened to me, I was a teenager. I'd gone skiing. And just, I loved the whole idea of it, so I, I wanted to get skis, so I started saving up for it, and all I could think about was getting those skis. My whole life was driven by it at that point. Every, every dollar that I earned, I, I squirreled it away, and I wanted to get those skis, and it was like, just kind of took over my mind. That ever happened to you, where something just dominates for a little while, <clears throat> because you want it so badly? And then when I finally had enough money, I went out to the ski house in Wilmington on 129, I bought a pair of skis. I think they were like $400 or something. It was a lot of money at the time. And I brought them home. And I set them up on my wall in my room. And I sat on my bed and I looked at them. <laughs> and then the, the first two words out of my mouth in my head as I was looking at them was, now what? I had for so long anticipated the getting of these things that now that I had them, I felt almost let down. It was, it was like, oh, okay, I have them. Now what? And maybe you've experienced something similar, that like, like the anticipation of something is, 
is the greater part of it. But he's talking about his soul. Skis can't satisfy my soul. Cars can't satisfy my soul. A good meal can't satisfy my soul because all those things are temporal. They, they don't last forever. And only something that's lasting and eternal can actually satisfy the soul. The soul is that part of you that's internal and eternal. It's that part of you that makes you, you, different from me. It's the person that, that dwells inside of us, our mind, emotions, intellect, our heart. But it's that part that's eternal. And there, there is an eternal part of us that we need to recognize. Our soul will continue to exist and function after our death. This man didn't think about that. All he thought about was his temporal life. He didn't give any consideration to a soul, and he equated satisfaction in this life with being satisfied in his soul. That's why he said in verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods. But his soul really didn't have goods. His body did, but his soul didn't. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 says, For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortality must put on immortality. Life is more than just now. I, I quoted it earlier, John 5, 28. Jesus said, don't marvel at this. The time is coming, the hour is coming, when all who are in the tomb shall be raised and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And so one or the other will be true. Ecclesiastes 12 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. Right? We lay our bodies in the ground and they turn back to dust. But the spirit will return to God who gave it. There is life after death. And the man was convinced that by eating and drinking and being happy, that that would be enough to satisfy his soul. But he was mistaken. And I could take you through a whole ton of verses in Ecclesiastes. One of the wealthiest men that ever walked the face of this planet was Solomon. You start to look into the immense wealth that this man had. It blows my mind even by today's standards. The land, the property, the gold, the silver... The, the businesses, they had 40,000 horses. Was it 40,000 or 12,000? Maybe it was 12,000 horses and 40,000 people to take care of them, or vice versa, I can't remember, but it's some huge number. He had any resource that you could possibly want to imagine. Music, I love music. Uh, we, we were able to go to the Piano Guys concert on Tuesday and really enjoyed that down in Boston. Terrific concert, and if I could go to a concert every night, I probably would. I love hearing people perform and the, the talent that people have. Solomon never went to a concert. He just had them come to his house. He says, I have men servants, maid servants, singers, and people who play instruments, and he brought them in. So he would just say, hey, piano guys, you come over here tonight. You play for me. And he would. Jesus taught us the opposite. Right? He said in Matthew chapter 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
The soul, the deepest and most important part of each of us, cannot truly be satisfied with things. As much as we try to convince ourselves of that, it just doesn't happen. The only way our souls can be truly satisfied is to do what Jesus said in verse 21, and that is to be rich toward God. You cannot divorce God from the equation of life. God needs to be first. He needs to have the priority or else your soul will never be satisfied. You know, money, money represents value. Money is just paper. You throw it in the fire and it goes away. It's little bits of metal. But we assign value to it. Right? You all know this. You have a economics class but we exchange it for what we value and that's what Jesus was talking about here what do you value most highly in life we exchange money for food because we value life and health we exchange money for books and tuition because we value education we exchange money for the things that we value so we come back to this question what is the most valuable thing And I'm going to say, it's God himself. It's the knowledge of God and having a relationship with with that God. Death is certain. We need to be prepared. And so my final question to you this morning is, is your soul prepared to meet God? This man's obviously was not. Where is your soul this morning? Do you know God personally? Do you know that without him, that you will stand before him and give an account for every sin that you've committed in your life? That is a scary prospect. Do you know that from the beginning of time, God loved you? And that from the beginning of time, his plan was to show that love by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for your sin. Do you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved but his? Do you know that Christ paid the penalty for your sin, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ? Christ our Lord. Jesus said, narrow is the way, or narrow is the gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there are who find it. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved, that you have believed in Jesus Christ, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ. There is nothing, there is no higher calling than that. It's worth more than all the gold and silver you could possibly accumulate in this life. It's worth more than your retirement account. It's worth more than your house. It's worth more than your job or your business. It's worth more than anything that this world has to offer. To have the peace in your heart that you know that after this life is over, you will continue on with God in eternity. There's nothing that can satisfy your soul more than that. And that's what it means to be rich toward God. 
Jesus, when he taught in the parable of the sower, remember he sowed the seed and the seed landed in four different places. One on the road, nothing happened to that seed. One landed among the thorns, what happened to that seed? The world, the things of this world and the concerns of this world choked it out. And that's where so many of us are. We let the things of this world dominate our lives to the point that we don't give any consideration to the word of God and what he says. And it gets choked. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that's what my prayer is for you this morning. So as we consider what this man did and how he spoke to his soul, let's consider that same question again. What is the most important thing in life? And I hope that you conclude, as Jesus did and as the scriptures do, that your relationship to God is the most important thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the words of Christ and these, the parables that he taught and the, the things that are so important. I pray, Lord, that we would get the message, that we would understand what he was saying, and that there is much more to life than what we see in this, in this temporal world, that there is much more to being satisfied in life than just having things and storing up our wealth and living an easy life. Father, I pray that um, as we learn about you and your holiness and your righteousness, as we learn truth, that it would have such an impact on our lives that we would make good decisions and not foolish ones, that we wouldn't end up like this man who met you and the first thing he heard was, you fool. I pray that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because we considered who you were, and we considered what your word said in our life. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who may not know you as Savior and may have never considered eternity. I pray, Lord, that the words that Jesus spoke would be ringing clearly in their ears and that we might hear that soon they have come to trust in Christ as their Savior. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing for us. Pray that you'd bless as we either head home or stay for the... Uh, the meal afterwards, and just ask that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.